Welcome to this Stroke Journey podcast, brought to you by the National Stroke Education Center at the University of Cincinnati, your premier source for comprehensive diagnostic and therapeutic stroke education from the pre-hospital and emergency settings through the ICU and rehabilitation. Please welcome today's host, Dr. Jordan Bonomo. Welcome, and thank you for joining us in this podcast of the National Stroke Education Center. I'm Jordan Bonomo, an emergency physician and neurointensivist at the University of Cincinnati, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Dr. Atala Vagal. Dr. Vagal is a professor of neuroradiology. She is the vice chair of research in the Department of Radiology here at the University of Cincinnati, um, and truly thought of as a, a national and world expert in perfusion imaging. That's how I see you, at least, and I'm excited to hear from you today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It is an absolute honor and pleasure to be here. So we've had you on once before, and, and we really appreciated it. So we invited you back to expand on your expertise. Sound good? Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. So you really are the expert in the room every time I'm in a room when we're talking about CT perfusion. And CT perfusion for many of us was thought to be the holy grail. We were waiting for it as acute stroke physicians. We were like, this is going to tell us who we treat and who we can let go. And, and it turns out that it may not always be the holy grail that we're looking for. Sometimes there are technical failures. Sometimes there are issues with the diagnostic algorithms and the, the, the actual software. Um, and it ultimately involves human interaction and you've got to interpret the data. As a stroke physician, I reach out to you when I need help. So here's my question. It's not always the holy grail. Tell me about the pitfalls that you commonly see in CT perfusion and how people like me misinterpret it. Sure, now that's a great question. And I think the first step starts with recognizing that no technology or no machine, particularly automated machines, none of them are gonna be perfect. CTP, as we see it, basically you getting automated information on your phones or emails is very convenient, but that's exactly the place where you want a human interaction touch point. So few things that I like to do before I even look at any study or interpreting or looking at the volumes, the first thing I do is check the technique. So one of my favorite things, and for that matter, radiologists is garbage in and garbage out. So if your technique is not good, and that means the contrast, you know, bolus is not good. You're going to get suboptimal results. So that's the first step. The second step that I always tell people is CTP is just one more tool. Remember, we have the CT, we have the CTA, the CTA source images, the clinical information that all of you have. You have to put all those pieces together and you cannot rely on only those pink and green maps. So that's like the big picture where I would start with. So you mentioned the pink and green maps. I'm going to tell you, I love them, right? Because it seems so simple, right? I can show them to my 11-year-old and I'm like, hey, buddy, are these different? And he's like, yeah, this one's much smaller than that one. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to treat this patient, right? It's almost that simple in its purest form. But in order to get quality data that you can interpret, right, non-garbage data, you have to know that the contrast was administered appropriately and the timing of the bolus was right. We actually talked about this at our stroke team meeting yesterday. There was, um, an, the bolus, as I remember, was, was too short. It wasn't extended over a long enough period of time. Tell us how you look at contrast data in the study to determine whether it's garbage in or quality in. Okay, so number one, I think the first step is work with your radiologist. Hey, I'm a radiologist, so I'm gonna plug in for the radiologist because that is gonna be the first step in setting up the protocols correctly. And so once you have the correct protocol, now you're looking at your study, the time density curves, which are there 
To be very honest, at the back end of most of these maps, depending on what software you're using, these maps should be available. If it's not available on your phone, then that's going to be a problem, but usually they are. Look at those maps, see the time density curve, see that it's at least 60 to 70 cc's. So the contrast comes in, there is an in and an out phase. So that's the time density curve. That basically means the contrast is going in, into the voxel and out of the voxel. Now you can get the quantitative results. Um, the other one is actually just look at those maps and see you know, if the collaterals and everything, the vessels are filling up, which again, is that information available? So as much as you like, I know, Jordan, the, those pretty pictures, um, there is a lot more information outside of those green and red maps. And once you've trained yourself, it just it's a matter of a few seconds to look at it and assess it. Sure. And I feel like you've done a pretty good job of, of training us on the stroke team to do this. I still get confused once in a while, and I certainly call for help. Interestingly, not every radiologist, certainly not every neuroradiologist knows how to do this, but you clearly have this expertise. Tell me a little bit about like, where your passion for CT came from. Like, where did your CTP love come from? Well, you know, it goes a long way back when we started doing this actually for our Dimox, you know, patients and for our ECIC bypass. That was one of the, you know, things that we started doing. That time, the acute stroke world has just started looking at CTP. But to be very honest, the main push for CTP was after these two trials, right? One of the thing about imaging is you can use the fanciest imaging and use it as an academic exercise till it actually gets used in a trial and proves. And so, and for one thing I want to clarify for all the pitfalls that we are discussing and, you know, I'll be talking in my lectures too, CTP is still a very powerful tool. And it gives important information. It's just that you've got to know that it's not perfect, as you said early on. So I have learned over the time that, you know, the more you see, the more you question it, the more physiology you understand, the, the interesting the maps become. Sure. And, and I'll say as a stroke physician who's been doing this for a while, I, I remember the wake up strokes and you just walked away. You had nothing for them. Um, and we all knew they were fine. Their, their, their CTs were fine. We didn't even have aspect scores back then. But we, if we had, we would have been like, this aspect scores 10. They look great. We should totally treat them. But we were never able to. And then I remember the first study that got me fired up about it was uh, an Italian study where they looked at about 60 patients and they got CT perfusions as uh, wake up strokes. And if the perfusion looked good, they gave them TPA. Right. And they, they weren't worried about LVOs. And I, apparently they have a very different medical legal structure in Italy. Um, and, and they said, look, you know, if the brain is healthy, it's going to be fine. And it was such crystalline science. I mean, it was just so obvious to me that it should work. But then there was all this question at the beginning about CTP and whether you could truly interpret the data for the noise. I remember reading an editorial by someone who was a, a CTP researcher um, somewhere on the East Coast, maybe at UMass. I mean, he said, I wish I could uninvent what I've done. Right. Like there's too much noise. We don't understand what we're doing. And look where we are now. 15 right. years later. Exactly. That was from Mass General. It was a very controversial, you know, um, basically saying that we don't trust CTPs. But again, it comes back to the point of what is it that you don't trust? Do you really understand what is being you know, told in those maps? And I think we have come a long way. I do trust the maps once I've checked the technique. I've checked the other pieces of the puzzle. And then sometimes you just you know, it's artifactual. And you have to have that confidence that, yes, I understand the software and I understand the technique. So I think that's where the biggest pitfall is. We think it's easy because we, we think it's, go oh, it looks very clean and looks very nice, but no. 
you know, like I always say, no technique is perfect and no machine is perfect and only physicians and particularly radiologists are never wrong. Never wrong. No, <laughs> never, never argue the radiologist. Exactly. All right. One question for you. Yesterday uh, at our meeting, we actually talked about a hypoperfusion index. And that was something that I have not paid much attention to in the maps before. 60 seconds on hypoperfusion index. What, what do you use it for? How do you think of it? Sure. So hypoperfusion index is another parameter that is available in you know a couple of the softwares available right now. That basically gives you a tissue collateral level understanding. And it is nothing but Tmax of 10 seconds divided by Tmax of 6 seconds. So the volume of Tmax of 10 divided by Tmax of 6. Hypoperfusion index 0.4 and less is good greater than 0.4 is bad. It's like about collaterals. And so it, if you get a lot of reds, again, depending on the color, so a lot of T max of 10, that just means that the contrast is taking 10 or more seconds to reach, which means it is really, it's a circuitous route, the collaterals are failing, that's a bad sign. So it's one more item in the list of decision-making, I think. And and there are a couple of papers that are coming out talking about the utility of the HI index. No, it was it was useful in yesterday's discussion. It was the first time I've, I've really thought about it in a clinical context where it was useful. And we've always looked at the images on the angiography of the collaterals. And we say, oh, this collaterum looks great. I love the word collaterum. It sounds so fancy. We're like, yeah, this collaterum looks really good or this collaterum looks pretty poor. And I would anticipate that the patient would have sort of poor resilience to ischemia. But that hypoperfusion index is a nice way to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I like hearing that I can generally trust what I'm seeing in the CT perfusion, that there are some pitfalls, and that even someone like me, with the right training from someone like you, can figure out when the data is okay and when it's not okay to use. Absolutely. And the, you know, the one final thing is, I always tell people, your best friend should be a radiologist. Get them on texting basis, and they can help you out in the tough cases. Sounds great. All right. So for our listeners, find a radiologist, get their, uh, get their text numbers, and, uh, and go from there. Dr. Vogal, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for listening. This was a recording of the National Stroke Education Center. Thanks for listening today. This Stroke Journey podcast is a collaboration between the National Stroke Education Center, MCRAIG International, and MedEd on the go. For more comprehensive, high-quality educational resources for healthcare professionals, please visit strokejourney.com.